G'day everybody and welcome to the Down Under Sensor Migrating to Australia podcast. Today's a great little podcast we've got. We're going to be interviewing uh, Paul Vivian uh, regarding upskilling for uh, for migrants heading to Australia. So, uh, Paul, welcome, buddy. Thanks for having us. My pleasure, mate. So, Paul, um, for those who don't know, you're our RTO manager and you play a big part in the visa process for many people coming over that require a qualification for the purpose of migration. But today we're going to really focus on um, upskilling and, and and how partners or just or just qualifications in general. So, before we get started, let's um, let's hear a little bit about yourself and your background, mate. I've been involved in uh, the electrical industry and security communications industry for about forty years now. Um, have uh, worked all around the world on some major projects. Came back to Australia uh, about fifteen years ago and decided to uh, start teaching it and uh, have been doing so ever since. Um, doing the, uh, the migration assessments, um, I'd look after, personally, I look after all the telecommunications assessments and project management, leadership and management and quality auditing. They've come under my portfolio. And um, Paul, you've also um, been part of lots of RTOs, and, and and you're a big part of setting up the Down Under Centre with the TRA program as well. Um, just give us a background. Just you know, in in total, how many years have you been involved in uh, in RTOs and schools? RTO itself, I've been for fourteen years. I've been teaching, and then I was in a management role in my last position, and that's how. You and I met um, a while back with, during the uh, the TRA application and prior to that with the electrical gap training. Um, but itself is, is involved with RTOs and teaching, compliance, and stuff for about 14 years now. Yeah, it's, 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 it's quite a good background and you're, um, you're well respected in the industry. I, I know that um, TRA have asked you a few questions regarding certain occupations and qualifications and you've made some really good um, legwork for for lots of our migrants that have been probably stuck, um, especially lots of migration agents too, reaching out to you with possibly a CV in a scenario and saying, "Well, look, this is a you know for a professional occupation, we need it. We need we need a relevant qualification. Here's a CV, and and you've got those skills to look at that CV, look at the um, and then come up with a qualification, and the migration agent can then discuss that with the migrant, um, and then you know." We get a positive skills assessment at the end of it, so it's been um, it's been fantastic, and it's been good to have you on board um, with the Down Under Centre for the last few years, mate. So, the first question I got to ask you, it comes up all the time. What does RPL mean? Good question. RPL is is recognition of prior learning, so it's not actually you doing a course. It's based on your abilities and what you do. So when people come to us, especially a migration agent, they you know throw out the CV and say, look, he's this person's um, something, and they've got all these qualification NVQ qualifications, and of course, unfortunately, within Australia, we don't recognise the NVQ system or the city and guilds. Uh, we operate in a totally different bandwidth, if you will. So what we've got to do is then go through and start matching what their experiences. So basically, RPL is your experience. And that can be difficult in some respects because you may not do everything to Australian standards, but the, but the similarities, especially with the UK, it's 
uh, we have very similar systems, you know, work health and safety, and in a lot of the occupations are bricklaying's bricklaying, carpentry's carpentry. We just do things slightly different here, and some of the standards that we have are slightly different. So when somebody's if, if coming to us, especially members of the skills assessment team, and they say you've got to go through an RPL process, it's not a course, it's actually looking at your ability. And there'll be a series of questions and uh, evidence that you have to provide to justify your experience. And Paul, so this is important. So rec- RPL, recognition of prior learning. So you're taking, un- so so when you're issuing a qualification, you um, you have to follow units of competency that that qualification must see. Is that correct? That's correct. So all of our AQFs or qualifications all have units of competency. And there are going to be units that are core or mandatory. And then there are going to be units which are electives. The elective ones, we can be a little bit more colourful. And so we can say yes or no, you can or can't do it. And usually those are the more warm and fuzzy type uh, examples. And in Australia, we, we try to get into managing the different performance levels of people, managing conflict, managing resolutions. Um, and also we do a lot in continuous improvement, which is something um, that is not done overseas or it's not managed by your employer. So, um, yeah, units of competency. And all the RPL is is really just taking the requirements from that unit and just showing that you can do that by either a physical evidence of showing photographs, videos, or in some occupations where that's not possible, is write a story. Just write us a story about how you would do it. And that really is answering the questions. And then, of course, most times you'll always be asked uh, by an assessor through a technical interview whether uh, you can do that. So they'll reference back to your story something you might have done 20 years ago but it's still experience but you just can't physically show that in the way of a photograph or a video yeah cheers paul because like like it sounds really daunting and difficult um doing a a qualification via rpl but in fact i actually found it quite easy i've done a few through yourself um and just because we're mates you definitely didn't you know make it super easy but you gave us a guideline and I was able to um, produce lots of documents. I remember I got my training and assessing qualification. I was able to demonstrate I knew those units of competency without um, having to actually attend school, which you know, which I found um, to be great when you know you assisted us with that. So, so guys, you know, the RPL process of gaining a qualification, an Australian qualification. It might sound, um, you know, me as a plumber and Paul's quite an educated, educated man and he'll use big words. So, Paul, you, um, for me, mate, you use quite big words. But at the end of the day, you're basically gathering documents from what they already have and, and you, the assessor, and, and you're a team of assessors. Um, it's, it's their challenge to get that information from you to match those units of competency and at, at the end deliver an Australian certificate that which which we'll talk about soon, which is really needed for people to progress and to have this you know similar jobs to maybe what they have in the UK. A qualification is probably going to be needed for them to be in Australia. Is is that fair to say, mate? Yeah, it is. The the bit the, look the hardest part of the whole migration process, other than waiting for the visa, is probably the first stage, which is me, and that's 
you know, welcome to the world of RPL, you need to get your AQF. Um, now, in most cases, you will need an AQF of some description. Uh, there are occupations, which we'll talk about later, which don't require an AQF. Um, but the main thing is, it's it's all based on your experience. So, yeah, the hardest the hardest task is is that first stage, the first stage of the journey we call it, and and uh, getting all that information is difficult. That's why we prefer you to do that evidence collection while you've still got access to it. Don't wait until you get here to Australia to find the evidence because you're not in the workplace. So therefore, it's going to be very difficult to do that. So try and do as much of your upskilling or RPL evidence while you've got the opportunity to, to use your workplace as your guide. Yeah, well said, Paul. We get that a lot with the skills assessments for the young guys on work and holiday visas at the moment. I get all the time, like, geez, I was so much easier if I was in the UK. I'm waiting for mum or dad or someone to get me documents. But at the end of the day, it's difficult to go, you know, send your mum to the bank for a 25-year-old boy because the bank, you know, they want to see the 25-year-old boy, not the mum or the dad. So, so Paul, what is the purpose of upskilling for migrants? Look, upskilling is really if you want to get into a better position, so for in the case of a of a tradie, so let's talk about a carpenter. So carpenter, you go through the OSEP the OSAP program and you end up coming out with a certificate three in carpentry. The when but you might have been a builder all your life or you've run a business, but you don't have that piece of paper that says, I can do project management, for instance. So the purposes of the upskilling is to take you from what you have, give you that leg up, if you will, so that when you get here, yes, I've got my certificate three and you've got a piece of paper that says I'm a, I've also got a certificate four, for instance, in, in project management, which means you understand the principles of project management and you might end up doing a couple of months on the tools and then all of a sudden the employer will see your benefits and start giving you a supervisor's job. And and to be honest, in what I've seen over the last few years is the migrants actually tend to be the better supervisors and they will always end up in a better job. But keep up with the paperwork, keep up with your qualifications and you'll end up as the boss off the tools, earning a damn good wage and you know your work-life balance is going to be a lot, uh, lot better. It's um it's good timing you mentioned that Paul we did a podcast yesterday interviewing Lee uh, and her partner Michael he was you know he's a carpenter and the first two jobs um, she said he got was in uh, management off it um, and you know with our employment team as well um, it's just known that you know for example you know this podcast is for everybody listening but you know um, going back to what Paul said you know um, UK migrants with trade backgrounds are highly sought after. Um, in supervisor roles. Now, going back to what you said, Paul, um, about, um, you know, upskilling. So so I'll put a scenario to you. So I'm a, um, let's pretend I'm from the UK. I'm a builder. I work for myself. I want to, I've got a passion to build houses. I want to come to Australia and build houses. I've done my skills assessment. So I hold my certificate three. I was the main applicant. W- what do I need to become a builder to work in Queensland, for example? You need to be in a trade. So you've either got to be bricklayer, or a carpenter or, or allied to that, then uh, you must be in industry for at least a year actually on the tools. 
then you need to start during that time, you need to sit for a, a diploma in building and construction. And then once you've got that building and construction qualification, you can then go to, in this case for Queensland, you can go to QBCC, which is the Queensland Building and Construction Commission, and they will then issue you your uh, builder's license. However, there are different classifications of the building and construction qual, some of which you can do by RPL, some of it you'll need to do a course. If you can show that you've been in business, um, a lot of it can be done by RPL. A lot of it, though, on the accounting side and that sort of stuff, we, because of the GST and the differences in, in our uh, taxation systems, you'd have to actually sit the course, which is not very long, and it's all online, which most of the courses now are online thanks to the pandemic. And, Paul, the benefit, if you know, if we look at something when you say, is a course cost the same if it was done via RPL or if it was done online? Are all courses generally the same? Yes and no. That, that's a, for most of the cost of the course, um, a lot of people tend to charge the same. Um, in, in the case, because especially when you're dealing with migration, is there's a lot more uh, compliance involved. And because of the distance involved, if there's any you know, communications between the client and, and the assessor, but normally the RPLs can be slightly cheaper. But when you start talking blended and you start talking online plus your RPL, it more, most nine times out of 10, it'll always end up around the same amount of money. Okay. How does the, um, the vocational education system um, in Australia differ from other areas of the world? If we're talking NVQ and sitting guilds, that is governed under the UK system. The AQF system that we have in Australia is very similar. Um, it's similar but different, if you will. There are we don't recognise their their system, even though New Zealand used the city and guilds, but New Zealand's city and guilds is is a different beast. Uh, we just don't recognise it. So, but saying that because of the the way of the structure, and it's a technical, it's a technical and compliance issue, really, um, is why we don't do it. Even though the Australian AQF system is actually recognised throughout the entire OECD, uh, for some reason, South Africa and the UK, Zimbabwe, a lot of the English-speaking areas, uh, we will see them, but we don't actually recognise them and can't map them to the to the Australian qualifications, if that makes sense. So in, in a case like that, you just come in, they hold a relevant qualification, but you would uh, RPL them to get the units of competency to then issue the Australian qualification. So a popular one that you do lots of is the uh, the CERT Forum Project Manager. Would that be a good, um, would you just run through how that would work for someone from um, who was a migrant coming in? With a CERT Forum Project Management, if you had the equivalent to that in the UK, you'd be looking at a diploma uh, or an NVQ four or five, I think they call it, or a diploma in, in uh, project management. But here in Australia, it's only a certificate four. Um, so the certificate four is base, basically uh, you're a project manager and you're looking after a single project uh, with no with a few staff, and it's just one single project, start to finish. That that's the project. Um, 
So as far as the NBQ, you know, recognising it from the NBQ, we wouldn't. A lot of it we'd still do by RPL. The principles in the case of project management are still covered under what we call PIMBOK or the Project Management Book of Knowledge. Uh, it still follows the same principles, except we just do things a bit differently. But the thing overall is we can't recognise the NBQ, so it's just done purely by by RPL, which, to be honest, is is the paperwork's the same. So you just produce the same paperwork and we can just issue the same qualification, except under an Australian banner instead of a an off, offshore banner. Yeah, it's a very popular one that um, the Cert for in Project Manager. We get that all the time, I think. When people see jobs advertised for supervisors, project manager, um, you know, me and you both know that Australia loves a qualification. You know, you need a certificate for everything. You know, we've got obviously the basic certificates um, like the white card. So if you're in construction, you know, your white card's the Aussie version of the CSCS card. And I think something like that's pretty simple. And the RSA and, you know, responsible service of alcohol, responsible service of gambling, they're sort of uh, smaller ones. I think today's more about... Um, you know, helping that person because, um, Paul, you know, from, you know, from your experience and I know from my experience, you get lots of people wanting to start fresh and um, maybe change roles. And, and and do you find that, you know, maybe um, we've migrated someone or you're chatting with someone maybe to give them a diploma of roofing, you know, um, metal roofing or roof plumber, uh, and then maybe the partner or someone is uh, is keen to upskill, what what sort of um, qualifications or upskilling would you recommend for someone who's looking for a fresh start? Um, when I do a skills assessment with a migrant, I'll actually do a one-on-one Zoom call and go through with them about their own qualification. But I never, ever forget about the partner because migrating, you are migrating with your family. So I'll always ask to, for the partner to be present and I'll start talking to them. And nine times out of ten, they are a stay-at-home mum or uh, or doing something which, you know, they don't quite like. So we'll start looking at what they do like. And then we start communicating. And then we'll have another chat with them one-on-one. How can we help you? What is the area that you want to go into? Um, they might be an admin assistant at the moment and they want to get out of that and start doing something else. So what is it that we can help you with to give you that leg up so when you get here, you've got that Australian piece of paper that says, I hold an Aussie qual, I've got the experience from overseas, now help me get a job. And that's exactly what we we help to do. So it's not just the primary applicant on the visa, it's also the rest of the family. So in this case, the, the husband or wife, if they happen to be the secondary, we always try and help both. And that's as part of the service that we offer. Um, Paul, what are the most um, in-demand um, qualifications for migrants? As far as upskilling goes, it's always project management and leadership and management. Um, it's always management roles. You've We do get some inquiries for hospitality um you might be looking at a certificate three in uh, in hospo you could be looking at uh, something in business so you don't have quite enough experience we've also looked at accounting um we have some deals coming up very shortly where we can also help you get your real estate licenses in australia so i'm already a property manager in uh in in, in the uk and I want to start doing real estate or property management here, 
then we have an organization that we can use and we can help you get all of that done prior to actually arriving. So those are kind of the areas that we look for in upskilling. As far as the, um, you know, the, the rest of the migration system, it's it's varied. At the moment, the big, uh, the big push is for the nursing in medical, uh, the medical area, nursing area. Uh, and it's unfortunately, the government is slowing down with the trades. Um, there are reasons for that, but that that's kind of the areas that we're currently looking at. What what are the um you know what are the cha- are the common challenges people face when enrolling into art like into schools and everything in Australia? In the RTO system, uh, getting here is is the number one issue. Yeah, you can do um, you can enrol in with an RTO when you're offshore. Not a lot of RTOs do it. That's why we specialise in pointing you in the right direction to be able to do what you need to do. There are certain uh, hoops that you've got to jump through to get that qualification recognised, especially if you do actually do a qualification from offshore. When you get here, the one thing that I will recommend highly to people is get go back to the person that's issued it or back to the RTO that issued it and get them to put your new address and new contact details. And it's vital that you use the system called Uzi or a unique student identifier, um, which is on all the application forms. Make sure that that information is on there because with that, you're able to uh, make sure that all your records are in a central location now. So that's probably the biggest challenge is is uh, you can do a lot of it from overseas, obviously trying to get support from the assessor. You've got to wait you know, the 20 or the 12 hours difference. But that's really what all the differences are. What, what um, like, so, so many people will, will ask, I know you probably get, you always get cross with me about this one, but what's stopping people from issuing just a certificate for? Why can't you just go out there as an RTO and just issue someone a certificate three in project management? What's stopping you from doing that? There's nothing stopping from doing other than if I don't have the correct evidence then I get shut down or the organisation I work for, they'll end up losing their licence to operate. So, so it, it's, it's, vit- it's vital that, that we do it properly. And there are organisations out there um, which don't do it properly and they have come undone. And sometimes when you go to an authority, a, a registry authority, and with your certificate and they reject it, and then all of a sudden now you've got a problem. And it ends up being a big problem too for the purpose of migration. When you know TRAs, for example, is the assessing body, and someone's got a, a qualification that they believe is from an art, you know, from a registered training organisation, and it works out it's not. It's a you know it's a fraudulent one. So, how do people go about making sure? Obviously, they can contact you or us, you know, to to find that out. But 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 how do people know if the RTO is legit and they're not being scammed? Yeah, that's that's the problem. It's a lot of people will go online and just do a Google search for the qualification they're looking for. Usually the first searches will come up are not RTOs. Um, they are operating as third parties. Uh, we have had one in particular 
um, without naming names, but he ended up with a certificate three in in a qualification, but he only had enough evidence for a cert two. And when he went to get his license, the organ the uh, regulator actually pinged him, and he came very very close to uh, being fined and and uh, imprisoned for fa- for falsifying documentation. And it's... the RTO the RTO involved actually got shut down because of that. So if you're not sure, ask. That that's the biggest thing. Go through somebody like us. We will point you in the right direction. We don't charge you for the upskilling. Um, we will help you as part of the service, getting you the right information with the right people, right timing to get it done properly. Yeah, it's, it's so important. It just frustrates me when people come in and try and cheat the system and sell things online. I get it all the time with these plumbers and sparkies. Oh, I got told if I pay this company X amount of money, I get a certificate three, but we know the regulators don't don't accept it and they end up being scammed. So, so guys, just, you know, be really careful. Um, the whole purpose of this podcast um, is to bring Paul on and just to, um, I, I, I guess, just to explain exactly the importance of upskilling. So you don't, for certain occupations, you don't need to be upskilled. Like, you know, if you hold a degree, generally the, the industry will accept that degree, not in all cases, but in lots of trades and, um, and other areas. And if you're going into certain industries, um, just, you know, certain industry like um, something as simple as a motor mechanic, Paul, um, you know they, you know they're required. They are requ- I can't say that word now. Required to hold an Australian qualification in um, in which states, mate? Just off the top of your head, which states is a motor mechanic um, required to hold a qualification to get a license? Yeah. So at the moment, if you are in New South Wales, South Australia, or Queensland, or about to be Queensland, you are required to hold a license to be a licensed motor mechanic. And that's purely because the licensed motor mechanics over here do what you guys do as the MOT in the UK. Um, they do all the vehicle checks and vehicle assessments, so they have to be licensed. But te- technically, technically, the rest of the country, you can just go to a motor, motor shop and just start working. But it's slowly coming where we are starting to now really start clamping down on uh, on occupations to make sure that we get the right people and, and make sure they are licensed. It's so it's so um, probably hard for the listeners to understand that, but, um, you know, how certain states have requirements and other states don't. So for those listening, Australia is a very large country and we've got different states and territories and those different states and territories have, have the power to make legislation and rules that, that, that cover the industry. Um, so sometimes they'll say, like, if you're moving states as well, Paul, you'll see that maybe someone moves from, you know, from Vic to South Australia and then they've been working in Victoria. They didn't require a registration as a motor mechanic or to hold the qualification. They then call us up saying, I've moved to South Australia. My employer is asking for this. How does it work? And, you know, we sort of say, I guess we don't make the rules, but, but you just look at something so simple like a motor mechanic and, and the complications of identifying the state that you're in so guys if you don't ask the questions you don't know so you know what would the uh, where would clients find this information paul what are the first steps the migrant should do to um, look at upskilling in australia go to the relocation website relocation.downundercenter.com and look at the state that you want to move to on the right hand side there is a tab called upskilling just click on that have a look at some of the qualifications that we uh, do through the Down Under Centre. 
remembering that Down Under Centre is not an RTO. We partner with RTOs or registered training organisations. Um, there, if there is something that we don't do, then we will find somebody that will be able to help us. Like the other day, we had a printer, somebody who was in the printing industry, something we've never done before. Uh, we managed to find someone, connect them up, and now they're getting their AQF to be a, print, a digital printer. So that's where I would start. First of all, if you're not sure whether or not your occupation requires a license, then you need to go to the fair trading website for that state that you are going to be moving to. And I guess the number one thing, Wes, is you need to have a rough idea where you're going to go to. Um, yeah. That's the number one thing that I always ask. If you're doing a relocation service with Lisa and her team, they'll always, you always get directed to the to the state that is going to be you're going to be going to. There's a reason for that is because each state, as Wes says, it has different rules and regulations. New South Wales is the most over-regulated state in the country. Basically, every occupation you've got to hold a license for. Um, but it's just a matter, it helps us help you. So the more information you can tell us, uh, the better off we are going to be able to do to, to be able to offer you the better service. And, and, and listeners, don't be shy about um, asking your employer too, you know, is there any relevant qualification? Because what I find with employers, Paul, is they'll, um, they'll you know, there's such demand at the moment. It's just nuts. I did a webinar this morning. I had the pleasure of waking up at 4 a.m. on a Wednesday morning. Anyway, um, got through the webinar and, and I said during the webinar, I'll get calls from employers today um, looking for people. And, you know, fair enough, it happens again. They're so desperate just to find employers, uh, sorry, to find migrants to come over. Um, and then when you start asking, you know, like, you know, explaining how the qualification system works, and, and, and this particular one was an electrician, um, and, they, you know, they just totally forgot about what, a, what it takes to become an electrician in Australia. And it was interesting because um, there's certain, um, uh, you know, if you're from the UK and you get offered a sponsored job as an electrician, well, you don't need the skills assessment for the, or the, or the OTSR for the, um, for the visa but when they come here, Paul, they need that to gain a provisional license. So, listeners, definitely ask your employer um, when you are looking for jobs and, and when you're hunting around, just you know, if any qualifications are needed. And and employees are pretty good. Um, sometimes, depending on the size of the business, sometimes they'll have they may have their own uh, internal training provider. But but most times um, they'll probably just assume that you've got it because they're just used to um, hiring Aussies. Um, so as Paul mentioned, you know, get, if, if you can be gathering the documentation before you leave, um, and it goes back to the perfect practice makes perfect and, and, and asking the right questions, if you can get it all done, the whole idea is to make you um, employable and giving you the best chances. And then when you are here, even if you've been here for a couple of years or whatever, and you're, you know, you're looking at changing a career, um, just reach out to Paul because, um, you know, I, I vouch for this man a lot. He's our RTO manager for a reason because, you know, he, his job within the DUC is is to go out there and, 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 and help our clients find the, the you know, the qualification that's, that's going to make them more employable or make their life easier. So, Paul, you know, a massive shout out from, um, from all the clients from the, you know, from the, from the plumbers, the sparkies, to the telecommunications, to all the AQF3s that you've done, the diplomas that you've done. Um, you know, you've been amazing and um, it's, even though it sounds difficult, 
it's actually um, quite an easy process if you are eligible to RPL. Would you would you back that up? Would you say it isn't that difficult? I mean, if we look at someone from from a diploma or project management, if they've got the necessary background, how long would that qualification take to issue? If a somebody come to us and said, "I want a diploma of project management," normally, if you're in the in the job, it would probably take you three or four weeks to put the to put all the evidence together. Um, the bigger, the, the higher the occupation, the more information you need. But it's stuff that you'd be doing every day. So all that we say is redact the personal information to comply with the GDPR and and all the privacy issues, and just send us the information. Um, so when people ask us how long does the process take, it's basically up to you. Once uh, we get the evidence, we assess it. You get your interview. You pay you, you pay the final invoice. And then you go from there. It could be six, seven weeks. Um, if it's a straight diploma or an upskilling, then yeah, you could be looking six, seven weeks. If you're needing to do it, um, the actual course, because it's something that you want to change occupation, all the courses are online. And it's really up to you. If you want to take 12 months, then take 12 months. The, the biggest outcome out of all of this, Wes, and, and thank you for your, your, uh, your comments, it's appreciated. The biggest thing out of all of this, and this is is imperative, if you're coming over on a working holiday visa, for instance, and you're an electrician, and you want to get here and work as an electrician during your working holiday visa time, Australia, you need a license. End of story. So get all of the stuff you need done before you leave. And I and I cannot emphasize that enough. Every night I'll be on somewhere talking to somebody and they'll go, I'm here already. Now what do I do? So you can split the process, start it over in, in your home country. Then when you get here, then do the last part of it. But it's imperative that you, number one, don't ask for advice on Facebook. Um, that is my number one thing is migrants or former migrants who are on Facebook have done it an old older way and not everybody's circumstances are the same. So please, if you ask the question on Facebook, you'll guarantee get the wrong answer. Speak to us. Uh, we know what we're talking about. This is what we do for a living. So that, that's number one. Yeah, and just going to that, and if you are going to ask on Facebook, I mean, it is a common thing, just maybe ask the person when they got it too because I'm with you on that, Paul, as well. I'll hear people say I was a nightmare getting my electrical qualification, but I might have migrated that person eight years ago. So what's what, you know, might have been a horrible back then, but there's definitely been some massive steps that, you know, you've been a part of, I guess, to make to make sure that life's become easier, for, you know, for gap training. So 100% ask that question. And definitely, guys, Takes Paul advice. Get all the documents you can before you go. You can sign up with our agency service. It never expires. And and for you, Paul, when someone's doing an upskill, um, you know, at what point do they make payments to you or, or to the RTO? Okay, most most RTOs will not ask for a payment until the end. If you're dealing with myself and I work with another organization, we won't ask for money until the end. Most RTOs cannot charge you any more than $1,500 at a time. 
and that is government legislated. So if somebody says to you, look, it's gonna be $3,000, then pay it off in sections. Don't, if they insist that you pay it off uh, all at once, then you haven't gotten the service that you need. So my advice to you is follow the legislation that says $1,500 slabs at a time. If you're doing an RPL for your qualification and the organization asks you for the money up front, then they have the right to ask for that. But if you are just doing upskilling and you're doing a Cert 4 or something just in the upskilling side of it, uh, and they ask for more than $1,500, you can refuse it or pay it off in parts. Yeah, good work, Paul. I guess it's how you catch people out from, you know, those shunky RTOs that might ask for or you know, pretend ones, like you get pretend migration companies too, charge you a fortune up front when they haven't even done the work. Um, but people believe that that's what they're going to get. So that's really good advice. Um, Paul, anything you'd like to add, mate, um, before we close this uh, podcast up? No, look, thanks again, Wes, for, for giving us the chance. The main the main thing for me is that if, if you are coming across working holiday visa or if you're the spouse of, a, uh, of the main applicant, and as Wes says, if you're coming over sponsored, you may not need the skills assessment for your uh, actual visa, but you sure will need it for when you get here. So assume that you're going to need, especially if you're an electrician or plumber, uh, you definitely have to have an OTSR. Um, if you're working holiday visa, you do require that OTSR. Uh, you may not at the moment for New South Wales, that's the loophole, but that loophole is closing very quickly. And last thing is, there is funding out there. If you are in Western Australia, there is funding available for you um, as a migrant. And also now in New South Wales, there is funding if you are already here in Australia and you're an Australian citizen or a permanent resident and you haven't done your OTSR, there is funding available through New South Wales. And if you are an electrician, you can go to the Electrical Gap Training Facebook page and and on both of them has the information about the funding for Victoria uh, for Western Australia. And also I hear that there is now funding available in South Australia for uh, migrants as well. And that just is an extra kick to help you with your fees and, and getting you started in the country. So really that's about all where's from us and said, Everything you need to know is on the relocation website. Um, there is sections in there under skills assessment for the gap training. And then under upskilling is all the qualifications that we have available currently. And if there's something on there that you don't have and you really would like, there's also the section where you can ask us a question on there. Yeah, good on you, Paul. What a, what a um, you know, again, what a great guy and, and, and the way that you're helping people. So, Guys, I hope you enjoyed that. It was a bit of a different podcast to what we normally do interviewing migrants, but we really feel like sort of from our end, um, when you get asked lots of questions about upskilling and and generally, you know, most of our clients are, you know, a Mr. and Mrs. And then one of them will generally need one. So jump on the website, um, check it out. It doesn't cost you any money to inquire, ask the necessary questions. And if we can help you, we will. So guys, cheers for tuning in and um, we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Thanks, Wes, and there will be another web, another podcast following shortly about the gap training as well. Don't forget that one, Wes. Yes, so plumbers, sparkies, refrigeration mechanics. 
join that one. But, uh, Paul, you're an absolute star, mate. We'll catch you soon, buddy. All right, Swiss. See ya. <laughs>